Thank you, Sarah and Hilary, for reading. Do keep uh, uh, these service sheets open at our passage from 1 Kings. Um, I've got a question for you, which is how well do we know the Bible? How familiar are we with God's holy word? It's a sad fact that Bible ignorance is now at a record high, even in the churches, even with Bible stories that are supposedly very well known. A recent poll in the United States suggested that 12% of adults who were polled thought that Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. Maybe that's just Americans for you, I can't say. But uh, Vaughan Roberts uh, tells the story of a Christian police inspector who visits a primary school, and he's asked to take a scripture class. He begins by asking, who knocked down the walls of Jericho? There's a long silence as the children shuffle nervously in their seats. Eventually, a little lad puts up his hand and says, please, sir, my name is Bruce Jones. I don't know who did it, but it wasn't me. Now, the policeman thinks that this reply is a bit cheeky, so he reports the incident to the headmaster. After a pause, the headmaster replies, well, I know Bruce Jones. He's an honest boy. If he said he didn't do it, then he didn't do it. (laughs) The inspector is astonished at the ignorance of the headmaster, so he writes to the Department for Education to complain, and he receives this response. Dear sir, we're very sorry to hear about the walls of Jericho, and that nobody has admitted causing the damage. If you send us an estimate, we'll see what we can do about the cost. How well do we know the Bible? And in particular, how well do we know the Old Testament? Now, I'm sure that we here at St. Mary's Chesham are much better than those Americans who think that Noah was married to Joan of Arc, much better than that school headmaster. So I'm going to do some Old Testament dingbats you ever played dingbats, those word games? So um, you've got to be on your toes. I need to know what is the, the passage or the phrase or the story from the Old Testament for one point, and then I also need to know the book of the Old Testament. Can we have the first dingbat, please, Samuel? Okay, start with an easy one. Shout out. Uh, here's what? Coat of many colors. And the book? Genesis. Very good. Thank you. Next one. Parting of the Red Sea, yes. They do get a bit harder. And the book? Exodus. Yes, very good here. Okay, next one. Uh, Murmur there. Nothing new under the sun, which is in which book? Ecclesiastes. Oh, you're brilliant. This is amazing. Next one. Oh, dear. Ten Commandments. Wow, that's amazing. Well done. Come on. Oh, they all groan. Which book is that one in? Exodus. Very good. Next one, please. Yes. Or Forbidden Fruit. Forbidden Fruit, which is in Genesis. Okay, they're getting a bit harder now. Any ideas about this one? Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Solomon, Solomon. Okay, well, and, and the book, please? One Kings. One Kings. Or it could be, there's a few others as well, but One Kings will do. Well done. Okay, two more. Uh, 
Our rector's over there. He must know this. Fly in the ointment. Who said that? Fly, fly in the ointment. Very good. Actually, that's not, that's not a phrase that appears in the Bible. It's actually a dead fly in the perfume, which is in Ecclesiastes. So that's, and the last one, please. Oh, no, that is the last one. So, um, okay, you didn't, you didn't do too badly there. But over the next six weeks, we're going to be zeroing in on one particular Old Testament character, and he is a biggie, one of the greatest figures in the whole of Scripture, the prophet Elijah. And the series is called Travels with Elijah, because this prophet does get around a bit. Someone once said that Elijah was to the prophets what uh, Moses was to the law. And it's no coincidence that when we uh, read about the transfiguration of Jesus in the Gospels, who was there on the mountain with Jesus? It was Moses, and it was also Elijah. They were there with him. At times, both John the Baptist and Jesus himself were mistaken for Elijah. And yet, how much do we really know about Elijah? Compared to Moses, for example, Hollywood has done numerous films about Moses with stars like Charlton Heston and uh, Christian Bale and uh, Val Kilmer, who, who voiced the, the cartoon version. But is there a blockbuster about Elijah? Actually, when I said this after the morning at the nine o'clock service, somebody said, there is a Mendelssohn oratorio about Elijah. <laughs> of course, they know about these things at the nine o'clock congregation. <laughs> And yet, and yet, the story of Elijah has so much to tell us, so much to teach us. And we're beginning it today, as, uh, as Phil said, when he makes this sudden appearance in 1 Kings chapter 17. And it's, it is a very sudden appearance. There's no introduction, no genealogy to establish his credentials, his lineage, no record of a divine call from heaven, as happened with Abraham or Moses or Samuel, no God whispering in Elijah's ear, Elijah, Elijah. That may have happened, but it's not here in 1 Kings. No, he just suddenly appears. Verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Abraham. Elijah just turns up. But he turns up at an important point because we need to understand the context for this story. And it's all about King Ahab. You see, King Ahab, this, is, this happens almost 900 years before the birth of Christ. And after the golden era of Kings David and, and Solomon, uh, Solomon, the 12 Jewish tribes were split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The southern kingdom was Judah and the northern kingdom was Israel. And the kings of Israel and most of the kings of Judah were a pretty bad lot. And that's what one and two kings are all about. And we read in the previous chapter of 1 Kings, 1 Kings 16, that King Ahab of Israel was the worst of the lot. Why? Because he had completely abandoned God. Instead, he had gone against God's law and married Queen Jezebel, a Phoenician outsider, a pagan. And more than that, Ahab had embraced her worship of the fertility god, Baal, and his goddess Asherah. And so Israel, under King Ahab's rule and Queen Jezebel's rule, was knee-deep in idolatry, in the worship of false gods. Israel had given up on Yahweh, the Lord. They had forsaken God, the true living God. <coughs> so enter stage right, the prophet Elijah. Cometh the hour, cometh the man. 
And we learn later in the New Testament, in, in the letter of James, chapter 5 and verse 17, that Elijah was just a human. He was just like you and me, but he was a man of God. He was a man sent by God, a man who trusted God. Indeed, the very name Elijah means Yahweh is my God. So there was no doubt at all on whose side Elijah was in this big discussion about Yahweh versus Baal. This wasn't hashtag ready for Rishi or hashtag Liz for leader or hashtag Jeremy for rector, <laughs> but hashtag Elijah for Yahweh. Hashtag Elijah for Yahweh. And just like the Tory leadership contest, this was a direct head-to-head. -head. Elijah versus King Ahab. Yahweh, the living, true God, against Baal, this false God and idol. Elijah is calling Israel to repentance, to turn away from Baal and Asherah, to turn back to the living God. But the question is, is anybody in Israel listening? So how can Elijah, Elijah make his point? This is before TV debates between leadership contenders. So Elijah takes Baal on on his own terms in the natural world. You see, this Baal, the so-called god of fertility, is also the god of the thunderstorm, supposedly. But our living creator God, who created the heavens is the sovereign God of all nature. So his prophet Elijah announces, on behalf of God, a drought in Israel, unless and until Elijah says so. We see that in verse 1. There will be neither dew or do, as the video had it, in the next few years, except at my word. So if Baal can't reverse this drought and the resulting famine, then he will be shown up as the fraud and the con merchant that he really is. And because Baal is a false god, a false idol, he can't send the rains. And, and we learn in the next chapter, chapter 18, that this leads to a, a, a drought and a famine for over three years. But of course, this makes Elijah vulnerable. We saw that in the short video. Both Ahab and Jezebel want to kill Elijah and the other prophets who were speaking on behalf of the living Lord. And of course, he's vulnerable to the very drought and famine that he's brought upon the land. And so the Lord sends Elijah to safety in a distant ravine where the water in the brook still flows and where he's fed night and day by ravens. You see there the journey he took from Israel to the Kerith Brook, past his hometown of Tishbe. Elijah is obedient to God's word and to God's call. And so God keeps his promise and looks after Elijah. So there's, a, there's an immediate lesson for us here, isn't there? If we, like Elijah, are obedient to the commands of God, if we are obedient to the commands in God's word, if we faithfully follow God's call, then we can also trust in the promises of God, in the promises in his word. As it says in the Proverbs, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. That is what faith is. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart. But eventually, even this brook dries up. There's a drought. There's a famine. So the word of God comes to Elijah again, and we see that in verse 8. 
God sends Elijah right into the middle of enemy territory to Zarephath, a place near uh, Sidon, which is where Queen Jezebel herself comes from. This is the very heart of Baal worship country. So it's pretty scary for Elijah. But once again, with this divine command comes a divine promise. A widow will look after Elijah. Verse 9. And then we have this amazing story of the poor widow of Zarephath, who is at death's door because of this famine. Which, and then Elijah arrives, but her flour and olive oil miraculously never run out. And her son is brought back from death by Elijah's prayers in what is the Bible's first resurrection story. God's miraculous intervention in the, into this story with the flour and the oil and the resurrected boy they authenticates Elijah's prophetic ministry and authenticates God's word itself. And in a Jewish context, the whole thing is counterintuitive. Ravens were unclean in Hebrew culture, and yet they fed Elijah. The last person you would expect help from is an impoverished pagan widow who was at death's door. And yet she welcomed Elijah into her home and eventually accepted the truth of God's word. We see that in the final verse, verse 24. You see, God's word is trustworthy. He is faithful to his promises, but not always in the way that we might expect. As that famous William Cooper poem goes, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. So this explosive introduction to the prophet Elijah in 1 Kings, verse 17, is one of the great stories of the Old Testament. But what does it teach us today, in Chesham, in 2022. Well, often when you hear sermons on this passage, the most common application that you hear is that we too can trust in a God who protects and provides. He protected Elijah, he provided for him, and so we can do the same. And that is certainly true. We can trust in God's provision. But is that really the point of this passage? because we can only draw that conclusion if we put ourselves into the place of Elijah. But this passage is not about us. And let's face it, Elijah is a one-off. He's unique, a special prophet called to minister to Israel at a particular time and place in history. And in fact, we see his uniqueness later on in, in, in 2 Kings, in chapter 2, when he's taken up to heaven in a chariot of fire. We shouldn't necessarily count on that happening to us. Sorry, folks. Another possible way of looking at this passage is to see it as a warning to us. Israel was seduced by false gods, by Baal and Asherah. And God had promised back in Deuteronomy that if Israel disobeyed Yahweh, if Israel turned to false gods, then the land would be cursed. The rain would become like dust and powder, it says in Deuteronomy. And that is what happened. God calls us to obedience, to follow him faithfully. And yet look at the many idols and false gods in our society today. Secularism, materialism, consumerism, career success, the obsession with self and identity, sexual promiscuity. God still calls us to obedience, to turn away from these idols and false gods and God substitutes. But are we going to listen to him? What are the false gods and idols that we are drawn to in our modern society and that we need to turn away from? So yes, God does provide. 
And yes, we are challenged to reflect on and to reject the false gods and idols which demand our allegiance and our attention in our modern society. But you know, for me, the real hero of 1 Kings chapter 17 is not the widow of Zarephath or even the prophet Elijah himself, but the word of God. The word of God in which Elijah places his complete trust. The word of God came to Elijah, verse 2, and he found refuge in a ravine. The word of God came again to Elijah, verse 8, and he found safety with the widow of Zarephath. The word of God came to Elijah that the widow's flour and oil would not run out, and this came to pass, verse 16, miraculously. And the miraculous healing of the widow's son after Elijah prayed to God convinced the widow, verse 24, that the word of God was true. God's word comes to us today, not through super prophets like Elijah and his bringing droughts and raising from the dead. No, the word of God comes to us today through scripture and through, ultimately, God's son, the person of Jesus, the word made flesh. And this word calls for our obedience, just as it called Elijah to go obediently to Zarephath. It calls for us to forsake these false gods and idols of this world and to trust in the true living God, just as it called the Israelites to abandon Baal and Asherah and turn back to Yahweh. This word of God is true. It is trustworthy, completely trustworthy. And if we're faithful and obedient, then God, for his part, will be faithful to his promises to us. And he will provide all that we need. Elijah learned that lesson. May we learn it too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the prophet Elijah, for his coming as a man of God, his obedience to your call, and his preaching of the word, a word of repentance of obedience. Lord, we pray that that word might touch our hearts in our own situations, that we might follow your call and be obedient to your teachings and turn away from the gods and idols of this world and follow you, and that we might do so in spirit and in truth, day by day. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.